Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Maybe just looking at two verses this morning. So let me just start by reading them. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider these words this morning, your word to us, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Help us to understand the things that you would have for us today, Lord. We know that our greatest need is Jesus Christ, to know him and Christ crucified, to know the forgiveness of sins, to be conformed to his image, Lord. That is our prayer today. We pray this in his name. Amen. It has become uh, more and more clear um, that there is a, there's a manhood crisis in our day. Last Sunday, in a beauty pageant in Derry, New Hampshire, a trans-identified young man became the first transgender title holder within the Miss America organization after being crowned Miss Greater Dairy 2023. As the winner of Sunday night's pageant, Brian, I don't know how to say his last name, it's N-G-U-Y-E-N, Nguyen, and then Brian is spelled B-R-I-A-N, Brian, will be the recipient of the Miss Greater Dairy Scholarship Award along with the crown and title. This type of thing is actually becoming more and more accepted and even celebrated in our society, always, always to the detriment of actual women, and in many cases, children as well. But the transgender juggernaut sweeping the world, which is the spirit of the age, is not the biggest issue that we face regarding manhood in our society. In fact, studies have continued to prove that many of the problems we see facing our country and even within the church are directly connected to a lack of men acting like men and a distortion of manhood and what it means to be a man. So, for example, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, in our nation, live without a father in the home. Research compiled by a group called the National Fatherhood Initiative shows that when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. Just listen to these stats. Don't get too hung up on them, but just listen to them. Without a father in the home, there is four times greater risk of poverty. Girls are seven times more likely to become pregnant as teens. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, twice the greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit a crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. Now, I'm sure that sometimes we sit here and think, That's a shame, but it doesn't really apply to me or to us. 
Well, here are some church statistics that have been compiled by Lifeway Research, which is a research group within the Southern Baptist Convention. In 2017, just a few years ago, 66% of teenagers who attended church regularly throughout high school, they said that they had left the church between the ages of 18 and 22. Think about that statistic for a minute. 66%, according to the research, Two-thirds of all teenagers leave the church after high school. Now, I don't know how much of that is due to going away to college. I don't know how much that affects the statistics. I'm sure that it does. But I want to look at this just a little bit deeper. Because of the 66% of people who say that they left the church after high school, 69% of them said that they were still attending at age 17. That fell to 58% at age 18, 40% at age 19, and once they reached their 20s, around one in three uh, said that they were attending church regularly, one-third. In other words, the stats tell us that only one-third of the high school students attending church continue to attend church once they're in their 20s. Additionally, Lifeway Research says that when both parents attend a Bible study in addition to a Sunday service, whether that's a small group Bible study or a Sunday school, 72% of their children attend Sunday school when they're grown and out of the house. When only the father attends Sunday school, 55% of the children grow up and continue to attend Sunday school. When only the mother attends Sunday school, 15% of the children attend when they are grown. When neither parent attends Sunday school, the likelihood is that 6% of their children will attend Sunday school when they're grown. So pastors often hear these, these kinds of excuses. I'm too busy. Sports are more important. Family, I'm tired. Sunday is my day to rest. By the way, the Bible calls it the Lord's Day, And so it's dangerous to claim for ourselves something that the Lord has said is mine, but I digress. Now clearly, Sunday school, I want to be clear about this, is not a requirement for eternal life. (laughs) It's not mentioned in Scripture. Sunday school is is a program that was developed in the 1750s in England. But Sunday school is the primary program that that we use here to make disciples as a church, primary underneath the the public gathering, the, the worship service. Sunday school may not always be, we may not always have Sunday school, um, but it's continued to work well for us as a church. You just need to know this stat. This is what I want to get across today. If parents do not attend Sunday school or Bible studies, etc., then there is a 94% chance that their children will also not attend when they grow up. So what do these statistics tell us? Well, for one thing, they confirm the importance of having a man in the home, and not just a male presence, but men truly acting like men. These statistics are, are the American church's present reality Because over the past several decades, men have often forfeited their God-given roles and duties for what's easy and comfortable. 
Men are often by nature, and I say this as a man, men are often by nature indifferent at best, lazy at worst, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. So what, what have we seen in these past few years in our society? Rather than acting like men, men have begun to act like women, like boys, like little girls, even in some cases, animals. I recently saw a social media post of a man who claimed to be a truly reformed Christian asking which Lego set should he put on his wedding registry. Statistics like, the I want to tell him steak knives, but he, he probably wouldn't use them. Statistics like these are the fruit that we reap when men neglect to act like men. So today, I want, to, I want us to hear God's charge through the Apostle Paul to the men of the Corinthian church. And yes, I believe in these verses, he is specifically talking to the men of the church. Last week, we looked at the verses around verses 13 and 14, in which he addresses particular men by name, and in these verses, he charges the men of Corinth in general. So the churchmen of the first century Corinthian church, they faced much of the same things that that we face in today's culture. They faced sexual immorality. Paul addresses that in this letter a few times. They face... Uh, false doctrine and false teaching cropping up in the church, a distortion of the roles between men and women, and an ignorance toward God, and really an ignorance toward the sin, toward sin, what sin is, and an ignorance of the scriptures in general. These are the things that he has been addressing all through this letter. So what does Paul do as he begins this, to bring this letter to a, to a conclusion? He charges them to act like men in a culture that was actively seeking to destroy their God-given manhood, roles, and responsibilities, just as we see today. I think most of us in here would agree that the The charge to act like men has never been more important for the church than it is today. And through God's grace and mercy, we can regain biblical manhood in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. Simply put, that's that's a big part of what we're doing here at Redemption Bible Church. Usually I can get the name, gotten almost by now. That's a big part of what we're doing here. Listen to these verses again, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. As Paul wraps up this letter, he's laid out his plans to spend some time with them again. We've seen this in the past few weeks. He's laid out the plans of Timothy and Apollos, and, and he gave a, a, a charge to, to, speci- to the church of specific men to follow the leadership of, to, to submit to. Men that he calls fellow workers and laborers who have devoted themselves to the service or to the ministry of the saints. I believe these are almost certainly the, the elders of the Corinthian church, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. 
he says of them in verses 15 to 18. Right in the middle of these plans, right in the middle of this charge, he also gives them five rapid-fire imperatives, five rapid-fire commands. Now, 1 Corinthians is a book that is filled with instructions for how the church ought to live in light of the gospel. In fact, that's a good definition of um, all of the commands for Christians in the New Testament, how we ought to live in light of the gospel, right? Occasionally throughout this book, we've seen Paul be, be rather abrupt or even forceful in his commanding of the church. So, for example, with, with regards to, to an adulterous situation, he, he wrote in chapter 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That is, that is quite the command. Deliver this man to Satan, he says. In other places, he's, he's really no less forceful. Consider chapter 11 and his instructions and, and warnings surrounding the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we've seen him issue commands or imperatives that are, that are a little more gentle, like when he addresses the issue of eating foods offered to idols back in chapter 10. They're commands, but he's a little bit gentler about it. Here, in these two verses, he's speaking generally, and even sort of in, they're almost summary commands of all of the commands that he's given them. So in every specific situation that Paul has addressed so far in this letter, these commands could apply. And even though he's speaking especially to men, just as I am today, um, these imperatives are applicable to all of us, not just the men, not just the Corinthians, and they really sum up all that he's been saying. It's also worth noting that um, Paul's general pattern in the conclusions of his letters is to lay out these kind of rapid-fire imperatives like this. And so while these two verses are, are broadly connected to the verses all around them by the, by the fact that he's pointing out godly men that the Lord has given to them for help, these verses also work on their own. And this, this is his first imperative. His first command is this, be watchful. Be watchful, he says. This can be translated either as be alert or be wakeful and on guard. In fact, this entire conclusion, the whole, really the whole chapter has sort of spiritual warfare undertones, doesn't it? So Paul writes to them, and really he's writing to them as soldiers. When I read this, it reminds me of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk was determined to wait for the Lord's answer to his prayer, which was a complaint. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says this. He, he prays to God, and then he says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. While Habakkuk was waiting on an answer from the Lord, we are called here to be watchful for something else entirely. What? What are we watching for? Be watchful. What are we watching for? What are we alert for? 
Well, throughout the New Testament, we can see repeatedly the call to be watchful is, is a call to be watchful for three things. The day of the Lord, the adversary, and our own sin. The day of the Lord, the adversary, and our own sin. So, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. Jesus himself actually spoke of this often. Here's Mark chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to read verses 32 to 37 where Jesus is speaking and and he says this. Mark 13, he says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, Jesus says, stay awake, be watchful. Likewise, he says something similar in Luke chapter 12. He says this. He says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here, Paul is reminding the church at Corinth to be watchful, to be ready. But not just because Christ could return at any moment, which is true, but also to remind us to live worthy of the gospel that has saved us. Even as we, like the Corinthians, live in a city that is overrun with sin. Jesus reminded the disciples how people were living in the days of Noah. He says, and it's in the same context of Christ's return. He says in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, he said this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. To be watchful is to live in such a way that we are prepared for the day of the Lord. It's it's easy to show up on Sunday, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, say hello to some Christians, and then spend the rest of the week flirting with or being distracted by the sin that Christ saved us from. That's easy, isn't it? To be watchful is not a call for us to get into eschatological debates. You can Google that later if you don't know what it means. It's fine. 
To be watchful is not a call for us to get into end-time debates or to try to guess when Christ might return. It is a call to live in such a way that you are ready for his return. It is to live worthy of the gospel. As Philippians 1.27 says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, Paul writes, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Jesus said that no one knows the day or hour of his return. And so we are to live ready with our hands on the doorknob, looking out the window, ready that we may be found faithful. While at the same time, we are also to be watchful for the adversary. Peter famously said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Godly men are men who stay alert and watchful, because they know that there is one who is seeking to destroy their faith, their family, their own lives. As a result, we are to live like Habakkuk all along the watchtower. Or maybe a better illustration is from Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be in his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, it does not blow the trumpet. So that the people are not warned. And the sword comes and takes any one of them. That person is taken away by his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man... The Lord says to Ezekiel, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. Men, to be watchful is to be daily coming before the Lord in prayer, asking for God's help in living and leading in a manner worthy of the gospel. Asking for God's help in leading your family and by bringing your families daily before the throne of grace, praying for their growth and protection in the Lord. Did you hear that? The one thing, the first thing that you need to do, guys, is pray every single day. You need to pray for your wives, your children, your grandchildren, the other families in our church. Pray for yourself. Pray for the pastor. 
the elders, the deacons. Pray for this church every day. Pray for our growth and protection in the Lord. Men of God are to be watchful. Men of God are to be men of action, which means that men of God are to be men of prayer. The reality, the reality of the presence of an enemy and the sin that crouches at the door for each of us should not, cause, uh, should not cause us to boast in our own strength, to boast in our own self-righteousness. Jesus exhorted the disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are to be watchful for the day of the Lord. We're to be watchful for the adversary who seeks to devour, and we also are to be watchful for our own sin. And I believe this is probably the most dangerous because it comes from within. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 explains it like this. He says, James tells us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All too often, we try to blame our own sin on the devil or some other outside force, when in reality, it is simply our own, my own sinful desires. And so we need to stand watch against our own hearts, against our own minds, against our own flesh, Paul has spent throughout this letter, he's he spent much time addressing the sins of the Corinthians. From their immorality to their covetousness to, the, to their idolatry. And so this command here to be watchful, it's similar to what he had written back in chapter 10 when he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We love to cling to the second part of that. God is faithful, and he's not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can handle. But the first part of that was take heed, be watchful. Be alert. Paul admonishes the Ephesian elders really to watch for all of these things in Acts chapter 20 and verses 31 and 32. He says this to the elders, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the, the inheritance among those all those who are sanctified. So there's an element to all of this that it is the church elders who are to be especially watchful for the entire church. But, but men, men, this does not mean that someone else will keep watch over your family, your children, your wife, yourself. Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Notice as he writes this in verse 13, we're called to be watchful first. 
Again, he's echoing chapter 10, verse 12 that I read a minute ago. That's because we do not stand firm in our own strength, but we stand firm in the faith. And I want to point out here that that while there is some very obvious overlap, we're not called to stand firm in our political positions or our own sense of morality, our own sense of what's right and wrong, but rather we are called to stand firm in the faith. This begins with, but is not limited to, a steadfast commitment and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that, it is your faith in Christ, but it is more than that. He's calling here on men to be theologically orthodox. That means means holding fast to the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. A, A man who is theologically orthodox is sound in his doctrine and his teaching, even or maybe especially his teaching within his own home, his teaching of his own children, for example. This is what Paul means when he calls on us to stand firm in the faith. This is about a commitment to Christ and to his church and to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is about holding fast to the church's biblical commitments. To stand firm in the faith, to use an old phrase that I wish would come back, is to to be a churchman. We don't really use that term anymore, to be a churchman. There's a caricature out there. The church is for grandma. Whereas men, men hunt, and they watch football, and they fix things. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, right? But God requires you to stand firm in the faith. To stand firm in the faith, to be a, to be a churchman. Consider Paul's warning to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Men, if you do not stand firm in the faith, you will find yourselves among the weak women. And so men, I charge you today, stand firm in the faith. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Know the doctrines of Scripture. Study them. Read them. Study the Scriptures for your own sanctification, for your own pursuit of holiness and the purity of your own self, your family, and even the church. Don't don't study the Bible simply for the sake of of gaining head knowledge, 
but rather pray that sound doctrine would take root in your heart. A sound doctrine that is loved is a doctrine that will change you. But the sound doctrine that is dismissed as, I don't understand those things. Those things are not for me. They're for egghead pastor types. That's going to leave you, that's going to leave you staying immature. Staying as a spiritual infant. We are called here to be watchful. To stand firm in the faith. And then he says, act like men, be strong. And I'm going to put these two together. Act like men, be strong. They really both point to the same thing. Courage. That's what this means. Courage. Men, read stories to your kids. Read stories of courage. There's a whole lot of them in the Bible. There's some that aren't in the Bible and are also really good stories to read. Read stories of courage to your sons. Show them what courage looks like. Now, as Paul writes this, he's writing in Greek. And in Greek, the the word that he uses here that's translated into English as act like men, that's actually one word. And it's a command for men who are going into battle to be courageous. That's what it is. That's what it means. So picture, picture the Civil War general on the battlefield, sword in hand, on a a big, powerful, strong horse, yelling, charge. That's what this is the picture of. That's the image that we see here. Act like men, be strong, be courageous, courage. Paul is commanding them to be courageous in this battle, in this spiritual war that we are in. As as Christians, we face a certain and increasing opposition. We're in a battle against the spirit of the age. We're in a battle against our own sin. And we are in a battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is calling the men of the church to act like men, to be courageous, to not be wimps, to not be cowards. He's calling us to stand for truth and not just simply, not just simply online, right, by leaving very brave comments. This is about the courage to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Acting like men requires courage. It takes courage to lead your family in the Lord. It takes courage to confess your sins before God and others. It takes courage to bow before the Lord every day in humble submission. It takes courage to be the spiritual leader of your home. It takes courage to call what is wrong evil and to call what is right good. It takes courage to hold fast to the truth in a culture that is living out Romans chapter 1. If we are to act like men, we must decide what type of worldview, what type of values, what type of truth is going to be taught under our own roof. If we are to act like men, we must be courageous enough to not be concerned about being politically correct. Our supreme allegiance is not to any political party or even even to the American nation itself. 
It is to Christ and to his kingdom. A godly man does not just tweet the commands of Scripture. A godly man faithfully lives them out by God's grace. Any man can post a comment, but it takes a man walking with the Lord by grace to live in faith and obedience. And all of this, this is what we need to understand, all of this is only possible because of Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul finishes these imperatives here with this final command to let all that you do be done in love. Let all you do be done in love. Don't be fooled by the world's definition of love. By the way, it's a fluid definition, right? It changes all the time. We can love all kinds of things by worldly standards for as long as we want or as short as we want. Instead, we must hold fast to the words of Christ who said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And how do we know how he has loved us? Well, that one's simple. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take our sin upon himself and take it away from us, to pay the payment, the penalty, the wages of our sin. If we are watchful, if we stand firm in the faith and in the truth of Scripture, if we are courageous and strong but fail to do it all in love, we indeed are nothing and do nothing of eternal significance. Paul calls this a a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary, but this I have against you, he says, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you uh, repent. That idea of removing the lampstand, that is the glory of God. The word is actually Ichabod. When the glory departs, we would no longer be a church if the lampstand was removed, if Christ was no longer with us. To act like a man means that we must act like Christ. To act like a man is to see Christ in Psalm 1 and act like him. Listen to Psalm 1 and 
and listen for Christ. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the standard for manhood, by the way, then we must become servant of all. Jesus, King of Kings, chose to empty himself and take the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because of a love for God's glory in the redemption of sinful men like you and me. Men who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the promise of the cross In fact, we could say the promise of the Lord's Supper is this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, rise up, O man of God. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love by his grace and for his glory. May our love not be defined by this culture, but by the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. May our love be covered in his mercy, grace, forgiveness, and truth as we courageously and watchfully stand firm in his Truth, the truth. Pray with me. Father, we come to you as people who we don't act like men. We are not strong, we're not courageous. But because of Jesus Christ, because of Christ's work, because we have the Holy Spirit, because you have given us your word. These commands are not empty. These commands are not burdensome. Father, give us the courage to pray, the courage to stand firm, the courage to pray for one another. Father, I am so grateful for the men in this church. You're doing something in in this body of believers, Lord, by bringing faithful husbands and fathers, young men that are are growing into adulthood and, and are able to look around and see dozens of faithful men. We rejoice in those things, Lord. Father, that we might be found faithful. That we might be found faithful at the return of Christ. 
that we might be faithful in our standing firm against the evil one and against our own sin, that we might watch, protect our families, protect our church, protect our own hearts, Lord, as we look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, as we come to the table, we come as a people who are thankful. Thankful for the forgiveness given to us in the body and blood of Christ. That we are your covenant people. That you are our God. Transform us today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.